0: Turn with me this morning to John 15, your New Testament scriptures. John chapter 15. I do intend to begin a series on the Psalms soon, next week or the week after God willing. I want to look at another standalone message today that addresses something very foundational, very central to our Christian faith. So John 15, passage on the vine and the branches. We'll read verses 1 through 8 in just a moment. John 15 is our text today, and as we're turning there and have God's word open, let me pray for a moment again for the needs of our church. Let's pray. God in heaven, again, we thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you lay down your life for the sheep, that you lead your own, you know them by name, and you take care of each and every one of them. We do sincerely thank you for that, your care of your church and each of its members. We've seen that. That's been evident in our church's life over the past months and years, and we're very grateful. We pray again for, specifically for your servants, uh, David and Mel, that they would know your mercy and your grace. That David would, his lungs would heal, you would heal his lungs, and he could come off the amount of oxygen needed to help him, and we would see that happening soon. Thank you for some improvement, little, little signs of mercy and I do pray that that would continue and increase and sustain Carol and their family as they wait on you to see what you will do. We do pray for Mel in Greenville that he would get better and be able to get back home and heal up well and know your mercy, know your presence with him as he goes through these days. And For all others that are afflicted with this, we thank you that Nancy Smith is getting better and has seen a lot of improvement uh, over the past days and pray that you would bless her. Pray that Mary Gamble would come through this time as she deals with the virus and that she would have a, a mild case and that it would come and go quickly. Well, We pray for all of us that, that interact with this and navigate life during this time that we would use this time well. It is your providence that has brought this about. We aren't, we aren't dismissive of the hardships. We pray, in fact, that we would use them well, uh, that we would depend on you more, that we would get, live with an eternal view. And that Christ would be more and more precious to us and his word would sustain us as we sense very, very clearly our need of you. I do pray for our church. I pray for our elders and deacons. I thank you for them. Pray especially for our elders as they seek to shepherd the body and lead and guide during this time. You'd give them ever-increasing wisdom and godliness and good relationships with folks in the church that they might be good shepherds, that we might do that job well. I pray for our deacons, and thank you for them and their very hard work as they care for the property and also seek to look in on families and make sure that others are doing well. Bless them in those endeavors. I pray for other churches in our area. Thank you for the new campus ministers at Clemson and Furman. So thank you for Brian Howard, working with international students, and Tom Hart there at Furman. I pray those men would have good Fruitful ministries, they'd be godly men, leading well, that you'd bless their families and children and care for them. Pray for Grover Thames over at Fulton and Justin Kendrick at Grace. Thank you for their ministries. Please provide for their congregations. Guide them through this time. Bless them with fruit for their labors. And the same for Mark and Aileen Mayu that serve there in Florida and abroad. Give to them wisdom. How can they be serving during this time with, with disrupted opportunities? I pray you'd make the way very clear for them to serve you and to love you well in these months. Now bless us, I pray, as we come to the reading and preaching of the word. Open our eyes, speak to us, we pray. Make Christ precious to us. Shape our face, strengthen us, make us more like you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 15. Let me read verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. I am the true vine. <clears throat> "'Unless you remain in me. "'I am the vine, you are the branches. "'If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. "'Apart from me, you can do nothing. "'If you do not remain in me, "'you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. "'Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. "'If you remain in me and my words remain in you, "'ask whatever you wish.' And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Amen. Last weekend, the Pittsburgh Steelers were eliminated in the first round of the NFL playoffs by the Cleveland Browns. Now, early in the season, if you follow football, Pittsburgh was a success. They started 11-0. Some people wondered, could they go through the whole regular season undefeated heading into the playoffs? But no sooner had that talk begun when they lost five of their six remaining games, including the first-round flameout against a team they had dominated for a decade. And in the post-game interviews, the press will often ask the coach, hey, what went wrong? Explain this loss To us, head coach Mike Tomlin said, we were a group that died on the vine. What a vivid image. Died on the vine. What's that mean? When something dies on the vine, it means it fails at an early stage. It never comes to fruition. The signs of life are perhaps there, at least the appearance of life. One sees potential For fruitfulness, but it fails to come to pass. And that may be because of neglect, lack of resources, but the end result is the same. A failure to produce fruit. Well, today we've read a passage in which Jesus compares himself to a vine and his followers, you and I, to branches. And the overall point of this metaphor, this picture, this symbol, is to communicate this idea. Jesus, the true vine supplies life to his people, the branches. And the branches, because of their connection to the vine, bear spiritual fruit. And so the passage asks us several important questions. Do all Christians bear spiritual fruit? What about Christians who don't bear fruit? What does it mean to remain or to abide in Christ? How do I do this fruit-bearing thing? What does spiritual fruit look like? And is it my responsibility or does it just happen? And perhaps you might ask, could a Christian die on the vine as the Pittsburgh Steelers did? Now what I found in studying this passage this week is Jesus answers those questions. And he answers them with a beautiful bounce. On one hand, he presents himself as the essential source of life and fruitfulness for his people. Whatever fruit we bear, it comes from him. And at the same time, Christians are not passive in their spiritual growth. We have a role to play in bearing spiritual growth. And so today I want to put both of those thoughts together and look at this passage under the idea, because Jesus is faithful, we become fruitful. And we'll go through the passage and we'll see how it develops that idea. Both halves of the idea puts them all together and moves us to action. Because Jesus is faithful, we become fruitful. So the first idea is this. Let's emphasize first Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus' faithfulness produces our fruitfulness. The first part of the passage emphasizes that, what God does, what Jesus does, in order to produce fruit in us. And Jesus begins in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now what's beautiful about this passage is is the main idea is not hard to grasp, the idea that Jesus supplies fruit. Our essential life. We can understand vine branches concept. That that hits us immediately. However, there is an Old Testament allusion here or a reference that adds a layer of richness to Jesus' words. D.A. Carson explains it well. He says, in the Old Testament, the vine is a common symbol for Israel, the covenant people of God. Most remarkable is the fact that whenever historic Israel is referred to under this figure, it is the vine's failure to produce good fruit that is emphasized, along with the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation. In other words, Israel is often called a vine, but it's usually, if not always, a negative image. The vine is fruitless the vine is dead the vine is in danger of being burned and that's how the old testament treats it it reminds me of the picture of the servant in isaiah who is the servant the servant is on one level israel but the servant is blind and poor and doesn't do what the servant's supposed to do so god sends a new servant a faithful servant who actually bears the failures of the first servant and recreates, makes new that failed servant. That's what's going on here. Notice again, what does Jesus call himself? Not merely the vine. He says, I am the true vine. I am the one who has come to do for Israel and all humans what they cannot do for themselves. I, Jesus says, will represent the vine. I'll be the vine. And I will be faithful in her place. And then that is how I will produce the fruitfulness of my people. John's gospel prepares us for this by using other similar images. I'll just list them quickly. In John 2, remember, Jesus says, I am the, or he says, you tear down the temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Trying to get them to realize Jesus is the true temple, he brings the presence of God. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. And Ezekiel talks about the faithless shepherds in Israel. Jesus says, I'll do what they couldn't do. In John 7, he says, I am the living water. And he says it on the last day of a festival. What this festival pointed to, I am. I have come to fulfill all those things. And so what it means for you and me is all of our obedience all of our fruitfulness, it's grounded in Jesus's obedience. He is the true vine. Because he was faithful, we actually have a status in God's eyes of being faithful because we're connected to him. So really what this passage does is it leads with the gospel. It reminds us on our own we cannot bear fruit. We are dead apart from Christ. Christ is the true living vine, and yet what does he do? He gets cut off. He dies and rises again to connect us to himself and to give us life and power. So we have that status because of Christ. Now, what I also want us to see here is not only do we have a status of faithful, but God is at work in us to produce faithful obedience. He gives us a certain status, and then he changes us to be more like that status. So look at verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now that idea of the father cutting off the branches, that comes up again in verse 6. And so we'll give most of the attention to that idea when we get to verse 6. We can say right now the overall point is clear. Fruitless branches are cut off and burned. And I'm saying that here because some have suggested that cuts off should be translated as lifts up. If there's a fruitless branch, God will lift it up so that it can actually bear Fruit, but the verb is usually not translated that way. It's most of the time translated cuts off, and that's how we should do it here, because notice Jesus is making a contrast. If you don't have fruit, you're cut off. If you do have fruit, you are pruned. So again, if you're a faithless, fruitless branch, cutting off is what God does. We'll return to that in verse 6. For now, though, I want you to look at the last part of verse 2. What does it say about the father, the gardener? He prunes the branches that bear fruit. Why? So that they will be even more fruitful. So not only does our life derive from Jesus the vine, but his father is tenderly caring for us. He's pruning us so that the branches will become more and more fruitful. So, you see, the emphasis here is it's all on what God does. It's all on what Jesus does faithfully to make us fruitful. Now, this pruning process may be painful. I mean, the very image of pruning, cutting away, uh, brings perhaps pain to mind. I think of Hebrews 12, the passage where we are encouraged to view our hardships in life as discipline, or more generally, training. In other words, the Lord uses hardships to train us, to produce perseverance in us. That's not the only thing he uses them for, but it is one thing that he uses them for. The point being, the the way God produces fruit in us may not always be the way we would choose. But it is good. It is for our good to make us more like Christ. And again, take the encouragement. From the verse, sometimes do you look at your life and you just say, I wish I saw more fruit in this area. I wish I was more fruitful in this particular area. Do you wish you saw more godliness, more resemblance to Christ, more obedient? Christian, take hope. God is working to produce fruit in you. He doesn't sit there and say, yeah, I wish you were more fruitful too. He says, if you bear fruit, I will prune you. I'll make sure you produce more fruit. In fact, verse five says, much fruit. So it does not entirely depend on you. It is first and foremost the work of God. And one more statement on this theme before we move on. Verse three reads, Jesus says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Interestingly, Jesus moves backwards chronologically, referring to our initial Cleansing from sin. When Jesus saves us, he cleans us. Uh, This statement is very similar to what Jesus said when he was washing the disciples' feet. He says, you are clean. I wash your feet to cleanse you. But the point is, you have a status of clean because you are connected to me. Good news, throughout our lives, Jesus continues to cleanse us more and more. But this is where the passage starts. If you are connected to Christ by the Spirit, by faith, then you have spiritual life. You are cleansed from sins. God accepts you as faithful, and the Father and the Son are at work together to make you more fruitful. His faithfulness leads to our fruitfulness. So now let's look at the second idea. Let's emphasize the other part of the equation. Our fruitfulness derives from Jesus' faithfulness. Our fruitfulness derives from Jesus' faithfulness. Both statements are saying the same thing, but but I'm intentionally emphasizing the different actors in each one because this is how the passage moves. In verse 4, the emphasis shifts to our participation in fruit-bearing. Now again, like I said last week, it's not a contrast. It's not, this is what God does, but this is what you do. No, it's a shift in emphasis. Or perhaps we should say, the second flows out of the first. The, the two parts complement one another, but the first is prior. Nevertheless, the second is essential for how we view the Christian life. And The main idea that I'm driving at here is what is stated in verse 4. This is the big idea of the whole second part. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Three times in that verse, Jesus used this key word, remain or abide. In other translations, in order to bear fruit, we must remain. We must abide in Christ. So, what does it mean to remain? What does it mean to abide in Christ? Let me develop this idea, because it's kind of key to the passage. We'll just go away saying, I don't really know what to do, if we don't understand what he means by remain. D.A. Carson, again, gives us a really good starting point. Continuous dependence on the vine, constant reliance upon him, persistent spiritual imbibing of his life. Again, we'll we'll fill in some of that content. The idea is, like a branch, you have to stay connected to the vine in order to stay alive and bear fruit. If you are disconnected from the vine, you die. We put flowers often in our sanctuary. Beautiful flowers are replaced here by a friend of the church. They're beautiful here even on this second week. Well we'll use them as long as we can. But these had to be cut from their source. So as beautiful as they are, eventually they will wilt and die. The same way with Christians. They can only bear fruit when they are connected and stay connected to the vine. The flowers, by the way, raise another interesting thought. You can be disconnected from the branch and look good for a while, but you're still dying and drying up. So the question that arises here is okay, well, how? How do I keep myself connected? To Christ. And that just sounds kind of vague. And, and, and if you're thinking theologically, okay, I, we are connected to Christ spiritually. Isn't that something Christ does? Isn't that something that the Spirit creates and maintains? Well, yes, it is. But let's think for a minute. Think of some of the images God or that John uses in his gospel to describe spiritual life. And you tell me if this helps shed light on the meaning of abide. So back in John 3. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So spiritual life, new birth, that is something God does to us. And yet John also teaches that those who believe in Jesus' name are given the right to become children of God. So do you see how the two work together? God brings us to life. We believe in him. We actively depend on him, pursue him, persevere in the faith. We draw on the spiritual life that he has given. In John 6, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. God must draw you to him. So does that mean we're passive? No. Jesus also says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. So God draws us. We come. He enables. We pursue. Last example. In John 10, regarding his sheep, Jesus says, No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. God holds on to you. You're secure. Jesus also says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So what I'm trying to highlight from these examples, in all of them, God does something in us, to us, for us, powerfully. We respond with movement towards him. Faith in Him. Trusting in Him. And I think we should think of abiding in Christ in the same way. The Holy Spirit creates the connection. He puts you in Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, maintain the union. But what do we do? We depend on the union. We draw life and strength from the union. We move Closer to the one with whom we are united. So that's the big idea. But now to get practical, okay, well, what might that look like? How do I move closer to God? Well, just for starters, it means continuing to believe. Actively exercising faith and seeking God. Earlier in John's Gospel, once again, there's a point in John 6 where many of the early followers abandoned him. A big crowd just gave up following because they weren't going to get any more bread. And Jesus turned to his disciples. He says, are you going to leave as well? And his question, by the way, expects a negative answer. Simon Peter gives the negative answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, they were remaining Abiding, continuing to trust in those words, continuing to feed on those words. They weren't passive. They actively clung to Christ and held on to him. Look even at the passage we're in right now, John 15. The next section continues the discussion. So look at verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain In my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Keeping Jesus' commandments is a means by which we remain in his love. Some of these are very simple, very obvious. We obey God. And that is how we remain in his love. It's not obedience alone that's why we looked at the passage today. God gives you life. God sustains you. God pursues you. But again, we are not passive. We are not being just mystical in this. We're not trying to define something. Or we're not trying to say, do something you can't put your hands on. We continually obey God's commands. We actively pursue that. That's what it means to abide in Christ, all while actively depending on. On God, so that's what it means to remain, pursue, cling to, depend on Him. And let me also talk then about spiritual fruit. I've been talking throughout this passage of abiding in Christ and bearing spiritual fruit. Okay, what what is that spiritual fruit? What might that look like? Again, we want to give a, a full answer here. So, verse ten that we just read, it speaks of obeying. Jesus' commands. That's the spiritual fruit. Verse 11 speaks of Jesus' complete joy being in us. That's the spiritual fruit. Verse 12 speaks of love for one another. Verses 16 and 27 speak of our witness to the world. Those are all spiritual fruits. If we went broader, we could think of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Other passages talk about the fruits of righteousness. One more time, Don Carson puts it well. This fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his witness. In other words, spiritual fruit is what God produces in you. When you pursue Christ and remain in him, he produces spiritual fruit. It's regulated by his word, but it's what God produces in you because you seek him. And that leads me then to one last question from this section. Can we disconnect ourselves from the vine? Verse 6 reads, If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So when we come to a passage like this, in the case of those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but do not bear fruit, have they forfeited their salvation? Or were they never truly connected to the vine To begin with, right before I answer that question, I do want to say this. Whether or not we answer that question today, the big idea is still clear. Those who are connected to the vine bear fruit. Those who do not bear fruit do not have eternal life. So there's no middle ground here of a person who is a believer, a true believer, And bears no fruit. This rules that out. It is not possible. If you are connected to the vine, you have life, you bear fruit. They all go together. That's the main idea. If you you take nothing else away, take that away. But to answer our question, did they lose their salvation or did they never have it to begin with? I think Judas provides a good comparison here. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he said to them, "...and you are clean." Though not every one of you. We already saw that language here in this passage. Back in verse 3. In the case of Judas, he appeared to be connected to the vine, but he did not bear fruit. And in the end, he fell away from the disciples. He was not clean. He did not have that status. So I would say he never had it to begin with. John, in fact, will comment on people like that in his first letter. He writes, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So if you do not bear fruit, you are not part of the vine. You are removed from the vine. And in the judgment of the last days you will be thrown into the fire. You you have no spiritual life and have not had it if you do not bear spiritual fruit. The biggest objection people have to that answer is okay, well why then does Jesus say they were in the vine? Why even present them as on the vine to begin with? And it's two reasons. One, in order for the symbol to work, the branches have to be on the vine. They're on the vine for the sake of the picture. In other words, it wouldn't make much sense for Jesus to talk about, okay, these branches are on the vine bearing fruit. And in the last days, well, there's all this dead wood over here and on these other trees, and I'll go gather it up and throw it into the fire. No, in order to make the contrast between those who have fruit and those who don't, He gives the image here of one vine with the different kinds of branches. But the dead branches have no spiritual life. They never did. They could have it, by the way, if they called on Christ to save them. And the other reason is, remember this, the vine, as we said at the very beginning, it's related to the reality of Old Testament Israel. And often the Bible presents Israel and the church in the New Testament as well as a group where you can appear to be connected to the vine. You can be joined visibly, but there can be no spiritual reality. On the vine, so to speak, like Judas, but dead on the inside. And what will reveal the difference? Whether or not there is fruit, whether or not there is perseverance. And so this passage challenges us to give attention to our spiritual fruit. Do we think we can profess Christianity and not bear spiritual fruit? No. Fruit is an essential proof of our profession. It challenges us individually, challenges us as a congregation to ask what do we value in Christianity? Is it the things that we think are good, or is it what the Bible says is fruit? Because that's what is being produced in us. And I would encourage you, too, especially if you're younger, what God values, what really matters to God, it's not looks, it's not accomplishments, it is not what others think about you. I know those can be powerful polls, but what ultimately matters is what God says is fruit, that we produce in our lives the things God says, this is what matters to me, more than anything else. And the good news, if you draw close to him, avail of his life and his faithfulness, you will become fruitful. Last thought, and we'll conclude. Faithfulness and fruitfulness glorify God and bless his people. The goal here is, okay, we've seen both emphases, Let's see how they tie together to conclude the passage. Faithfulness and fruitfulness glorify God and bless his people. Verse 7 reads, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is a beautiful promise of scripture. The last thing I want to do is water it down where it means a lot less than it says. I think we're tempted to do that when we come to these passages. We just can't conceive that God would say, ask whatever you want, and it will be done to you. So it's very easy to water it down. I don't want to do that. We're challenged here to believe such a magnificent promise. Nonetheless, we cannot disconnect Jesus' words from the rest of the passage. So we can't come to this passage and say, blank check. I get whatever I want from God. It is a blank check, but you have to take it to the right bank. And so God is saying here what? If you remain in Jesus and his words remain in you, friend, what kinds of things are you going to ask for? You are going to ask for the kinds of things that conform to the will of God. You are going to ask for the kinds of things that exist in the realm of spiritual fruit. And so believe his promise then. If you ask for that mercifully, you will receive them. Do not believe the lie that you cannot grow in any area of your life. Jesus says you ask for whatever you wish in this area. And I will do it for you. Pray for those kinds of things. Earnestly wrestle with God in prayer to bear more spiritual fruit. It doesn't mean, by the way, we never pray for material things. The Bible instructs us to pray for the sick, James 5. We ask for our daily bread. Those things are important in the area of prayer. But what this passage is talking about is setting all of our praying and asking within the realm of spiritual fruit and abiding in Jesus. So then lastly, as he says in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Or like the New American Standard here, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So not only does spiritual fruit bearing bless us, it glorifies God as well. He is glorified when we bear fruit. He is glorified when he answers your prayers to bear fruit. You will enjoy God. You will experience satisfaction of soul when you bear fruit. And that is how we will show ourselves to be his disciples. So let's thank God for these things and pray to that end. Let's pray together. Merciful Father in heaven... We do thank you that Jesus is the vine, and you are the gardener. And I pray that through the preaching of the word, from the means, the tools of grace that are here at Roebuck, that we would in our lives bear much fruit. Forgive us of our sins when we are fruitless or inattentive. Thank you for Jesus' faithful obedience. So again we pray, may your word bring forth... Much fruit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.